You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everybody. We're back for another session of In the Open. This is America and Teresa. Hi, everybody. So Teresa's feeling a little under the weather, but we're here. We're showing up. And... You know, we're following along with the series that we've been doing around trauma. Today, we're going to be talking about life after trauma and the healing that comes about after that. And it's uh, for me, immediately, I'm just like, is there healing? But that's my, that's my reptilian brain. (laughs) Wait, your reptilian brain thinks, is there healing? Yeah. Like, no, never. (laughs) I will never let this go. (laughs) So I think that basically sums up what healing from trauma looks like. Actually. Yeah, like it's complete survival. <laughs> so let's start there. What my brain is telling me is to immediately think about moving in a direction that is not tied to healing, but the more responsive side of, of my being knows that there is healing. There's a need for it. Yeah. So uh, if, you're, if you've been with us in the series, we've talked about how trauma affects your life in, du- in different ways. And now we're going to shift to what it means to heal and, like, and how do you heal in different ways. But I think that what you described is so important because before we can talk about the strategies for how to heal, we have to talk about why none of us want to heal. Yeah. I didn't think the same totally. thing exactly, but hints of that. The first thing for me was overwhelming shame. Mm-hmm. And that must probably is tied to it. Like the shame of, I don't know, what is it? The shame of the experience, the feeling that I'm different or I'm broken. And we've talked about that. Oh, I like why, that. I why like you that. don't want to talk to somebody about it. Why you? Why it's easy to ignore it. Now I feel the shame. (laughs) Now you feel the shame. I do. I I feel that at its core, the the idea of that you have to remain vulnerable to yourself because nobody else is doing this work with you. It's just you to recognize it's okay that you have been hurt by X thing. And within that experience, recognize that it's also okay for you to feel better from that and feel everything that comes with that the anger the shame i think there's a little fear as well for me around what it really means to look at my trauma and dissect it understand it as best as possible for me and then move beyond it yeah we talked about that i feel like in other podcasts we've talked about that devil you know is more comfortable than the devil you don't know and change is totally. hard yeah. And especially with the trauma that you experience over and over, you live with for a long time, you just get so comfortable with that chaos and, and how you've adjusted your life to that chaos that for me, thinking about the failure associated with trying to live a different way. Yeah. Okay. So I think what might be useful is for me to hear from you what your life I'm willing to share, right? So, I mean, if you've heard, my trauma started really young. 
and I don't know if I feel like I know what my life looks like uncoupled from my trauma. Mm-hmm. So much so that I get afraid of how my trauma is going to come up in therapy. Like every time I go to a therapist and I start talking about my trauma, they want to make everything about my trauma and not about what I'm experiencing in the present moment. So now I know I need to create boundaries to make sure that my therapeutic experience is focused on what I need it to be. And that plays out in my real life. I'm like, am I somebody different from what I've experienced, given that my trauma lasted from whatever, like seven to 17? Hmm. I will say like, okay, if I'm summarizing for people, like I've I've experienced enormous trauma from seven to 17. From 17 to 25, I think I was in a weird fog where I knew I wasn't feeling as unsafe as I was in the past, but I didn't quite understand the way my trauma was affecting my life and my decisions until I reached my 20s. Okay. And I've kind of touched on that a bit. So to me, that time between 17 and 25 is still fuzzy. Even at four in my 40s now, looking back, I have a hard time going back to that space and knowing what was happening in my brain. I think that I was still on the residual survival mode. And mostly, I just knew that I wanted to keep this feeling of being comfortable in in the background. And like, I just never wanted to say anything that would make me a target of bullying. I I did what I needed to do so that nobody would yell at me, but like never did so much that somebody would talk about how great I was. Yeah, to bring very little attention. Surviving. And yes, mostly that period was really founded on not bringing on extra attention, which is weird. I'm like, oh, what? Like I'm talking at three right now with you. Then 20s to 30s was like, I'm finally getting some sense of who I am, feeling pretty good about living my life. But then like trauma comes up in relationships and I need to deal with this crap because I don't know who I am. And I'm still like there. I'm I'm in the mid. I can't tell if I'm in the middle or more towards the end of learning who I am finally now. Yeah. 25 to 32 was chaos. And then like 32 to 40 is like less chaos, but trying to learn who I am and trying to love myself. At the beginning of this podcast journey three years ago, I couldn't even say the words I love myself. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. I I love your summary. I, I love it. I think it was in one of the prior sessions around the trauma conversation where I discussed that my trauma doesn't look like your trauma, right? And there are distinct periods of time, like I, I immigrated here to the United States when I was fairly young. So that block of time from like five till probably in my early teens, I was navigating what it was like to live in a space that was, for me, it, it feels completely familiar because I don't remember my life prior to that. Now in my 40s and where I'm exploring the previous years, I definitively know that there's trauma tied to it because when I think about it, it's like blank. So there's reasoning behind that. Then when, for me, identity becomes a real point of conversation um, in my development around like 
probably like I would say anywhere from about 14 all the way through my 20s, where I was trying to really understand what does it mean to be who I am. And that's, I know that's part of the normal aging process, but it, this is a set aside, like a parallel journey that happened for me was in really coming to terms with being a person who identifies as bicultural. I, I took, I've taken things from both cultures that I've lived in and created who I am today based on that. But that was really hard because the way that I thought about it was different than what was appreciated in, in either culture. Then I got married and then I got divorced. So that whole period of time, it was great. And then it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was critical in my development as a, as a person. The period after I got divorced, I think is the period of growth that has had the greatest impact in my long-term kind of thinking around trauma. Because coming out of that relationship, it made me realize, wow, there are things here that you should be thinking about. And for me to be a better person to myself. Now, where I am today, I recognize that things that don't exist in my brain that end up being like lapses of memory, they're tied to trauma points that I'm still trying to explore. Even things that I do to in terms of functioning my need for organization, process, all that is again tied to aspects of traumatic experiences that I've had, feelings of value, worth that continue to come up. They compound, right? Yeah. Do you think that your marriage and your relationship and your divorce was influenced by your childhood? Yeah. Are the things that were conflicts in your relationship what ultimately led it to succeeding or not succeeding? Yes. Short answer, yes. Yeah. And to me, the process of healing means doing the hard work to unpack moments of failure, basically. Yeah. You know, I had an interesting conversation the other day. And, and for me, this is, this is a critical point in my development. Right now, I feel like I have to break things down enough to like the single layer so that I can really understand where it's coming from. And But there are other people in my life, they are not interested in that. They don't care about it. It is beyond whatever they are interested in. And so when they look at me and I keep asking questions, but why? So what, how did this happen? And then they're like, it's done. It's past. Like you have to get past it. And I'm like, I am getting past it. This is how I'm getting past it by trying to understand. And they're like, well, what if you never get to a point where you understand? Oh man. I'm like, damn. Okay. That is such a whole thing. <laughs> Cause once you, once you fail, first you have to fail. If your trauma didn't influence your life, then well, screw it. You're already just moving forward. <laughs> but most people aren't like that. Like if your trauma is really affecting your life, it's going to screw up your life in some way. You know, you need to fix something. And then you're right, like going to talk to people about your trauma. Oh, that's part of the pain of it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. that's why I've gone to therapy at some point was I've I basically <laughs> either have tried to reach out to people who I thought would be good people to help me walk through this and they were going through their own thing or something they said just 
gosh, I've had some people say things to me that I was just like, oh my gosh, the way that you're responding is becoming yeah. traumatizing. Yeah. And, and and that gets to this idea of of the healing journey, right? Understanding what the limitations are for yourself and for others. For others, yeah, and yourself. Yeah. They, it, it brought me th- that question of like, well, what if you never are able to understand? And I was like, dude, what will that do to my brain? Just knowing how I am as a person. And I said, you know, I have to come to terms with the fact that there may never be like a resolution. You're like X thing equals Y. Maybe never going to happen. No, no. I Really? Yeah. With some aspects of it. Yeah, totally. Okay, wait. When you say that some aspects of it will never be resolved, I think what where I agree with that is I may never get the answer from people that I need to have yes. certain kinds of closure. Correct. But when when you said, what does life look like without ever addressing it? I think that life looks functional. Like you're moving forward, but your mm-hmm. but your body and your brain is going to have like weird ways of trapping of in that negativity, right? Mm-hmm. Like my depression is exacerbated by my trauma, period. My physical pain worsened when I did not address my trauma, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so your body just has a way of holding it in. Even totally. if, you, if you, you think you're not handling it, like your body is basically like, oh, well, and I agree with here. you. My my thinking is there has to be a point where I may have to accept that a resolution or an answer of some kind may not be available. And with that, whether it's from someone else or for myself when I seek it out, I have to be okay with accepting, okay, you, you've done what you can here. You have to now close this and move on. Yeah. I think what you're talking about, which is important, is about identifying realms of control. Mm-hmm. When you were in the height of post-trauma, it just felt like chaos, right? You weren't even talking – you weren't even thinking about like, oh, where do I have control? <laughs> post-chaos, I felt obliterated. That's obliterated. Word. What a great word. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't really think. I couldn't really, you know, process. Even really, I was functioning, but not not to the level of that is required. Okay, so at what point did you have hope that you weren't going to be obliterated anymore? Okay, immediate thought that came to mind was when I was fully comfortable in just being by myself and sitting with my thoughts. Mm. And the thoughts that are not coming back and attacking me, just being myself. Yeah. For me, that moment came the first times I publicly disclosed. So, you know, you kind of hold the shame inside for a long time. and You never talk to anybody about it. And I remember feeling so overwhelmed and obliterated. But the moment I said words out loud to, it wasn't just one person. The most profound thing was saying it to a large group of people, which I think is why like Alcoholics Anonymous or anonymous groups are so powerful Mm -hmm. because you're having a confessional (laughs) to a large group of people. This is why church is so powerful when you can share your story or peer support groups are so powerful. You basically acknowledge to a full group of people in a safe space 
And I think that was the moment where the obliteration was going to explode and it did. And then it yeah. was like a, like a space event, you know, it like brought back real quickly altogether parts of myself, mm-hmm. like parts of my who I could be that that went from obliterated to like the vase or something that had shape. Yep. But the release of telling a secret or sharing a shame and not having the worst thing happen. Uh, yeah. So this this happened to me a few weeks ago. I was having a conversation with uh, with my fiance and then I said something to him and he was just listening. And then I said, wow, I've actually never said that out loud. And he just looked at me. He's like, what? And I was like, and I, I repeated what I had said. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I've never said those words out loud. Out loud. And immediately I could feel the emotion, you know, and the release of being able to say, okay, that was my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was my experience. Oh, let me ask you something because I feel like in therapy, What's safe about therapy is that you know you have this person who's there to listen, Mm -hmm. but I've also had the difference between disclosing and saying words out loud to the therapist who I don't really care if they like me or not and saying something to people I care about. Yeah. Yeah. There's a vulnerability there. It's really hard. Yeah. If I tie that thought to this experience that I just shared, my ability to share out loud with my fiance was one of one of the most meaningful acts of vulnerability for myself and also trust in him. Yes. In a way that is different than a therapeutic environment. Like yeah. I may love my therapist, they're great, you know, they're doing a phenomenal job, but that aspect of being able to just be who I am in, in my entirety and say I'm sharing this with you. That that was a huge thing. It, it like now that I think about it, I was like, damn, that was like a gigantic step. <laughs> yeah, I love that those moments also catch you off guard mm. because in our brains we're always thinking that we can plan them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but moments of healing. This is the difference, though. Moments of healing won't happen if you don't put yourself in situations that allow yourself to heal. Because I've had periods of my life I've worked with people or I have family members or friends who just don't put themselves at risk. Yeah. They they've chosen to make a decision that says, I don't want to unlock that issue. I don't think I can handle it. I'm just going to close myself off from it. I'm never going to open up that thing. And that is a choice, you know? And it is it is a choice. Um I think part of that is is the need to recognize in ourselves and in others as well that we can't push, we we can't push ourselves. It's easier to push ourselves sometimes, but pushing somebody else to be like, react, let's explore what this means for us. And, and it's like, <laughs> no, man, you can't, you can't do that. Yeah. It, it takes away from that experience that's needed for the person to get to a moment of recognition that this is something that they want to explore further. They want to look at it in 75 million ways, you know? Yeah. Some people don't want to do that. So going back to the timeline, 
I can't help but think, and I don't know if it's because of the pain, the struggle. Like I, like I said, I'm kind of in the middle of unpacking the wound. And I had a therapist once who was really trying to encourage me to to unlock and start trusting. And she said, "It's basically like surgery. <laughs> your your wound is infestuous and it's nasty. But if you let people in, it's surgery. It's." going to be nasty, but you have to clean that stuff out and you have to close it up and heal it appropriately. Otherwise, it's just, it's it's infestuous. Yeah. I don't think this was me at 25. And he told you, right, that was the end of the gray years. (laughs) Okay. The lost years. I don't know. Okay. I knew when she said the words, I was like, I know you're right, blah, blah, blah. But I did not take it to heart. Like I knew that she was right. But basically between 25 and 30 something, I continued to ignore it. But I was functioning so well, America. I would say like, I don't know if it's because I didn't have kids and responsibilities or whatever. But basically from 25 to 35 was like the decade of, I don't know, I'll live in your best life. I was so and then at 35, I was like, all right, I have to make a decision. Things that were happening in my life where it was really forcing me to not ignore stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was probably because I got married. And that's interesting that for you, a deep commitment to a marriage, because marriage is different. There were things that was like, oh, I'm committed to a boyfriend (laughs) or girlfriend or whatever. But that's like, I always knew there was an exit, you know? Yeah. There's something about committing to a marriage that brings all of your crap and forces you to evaluate and you can't hide. It's been hard. Like I think about where I am today healing and I'm in the middle of surgery. Like my wound is still open. It's still infectious. And I'm trying to have hope that on the other side, it's going to get closed up and I'm going to go back to who I was in my late 20s, but better? Are you there already? Or are you like open womb too? (laughs) I don't know if if this is uh, maybe a distinction in our mentality around it. I don't want to go back. I don't want to be who I was when I was 25 or 30. You're right. You're right. (laughs) But it's not, it's, that wasn't my full self. Like today I can say I am closer to my full self. Yeah than I was back then and owning all the crap of who I am, being able to recognize it and still sometimes getting slapped in the face by the fact like, oh, you ain't figured this out yet. Come on now. Okay. You know what? You're right. You're right (laughs) that today I am more close to my full self and that has so much benefit. Totally. And if I'm honest with myself, what I am looking for from that time in my life was the ease. Mm. And there is some ease that comes with avoidance. But I'm better today than I was back then. And I think what you're saying that's so important is that to honor every step of the journey and to take all that history and like see all of it for what it is, good and bad. And to be at peace with where you are today and then have hope for where you're going in the future. Completely. That's what healing looks like. Is there an end? 
that's a that's a very good question. I sometimes think about that and I'm like, are you ever going to get to this place where you're just like, okay, done, checked. Got it. Here's a star. Um, Insta, eh. Insta beauty. And I, I rationally, I don't think so. Because if I say that there is, then that negates the fact that I continue to grow as a person. Yeah. So my thinking is more inclined to go along the path of you're good where you're at. Just keep moving. Hmm. The question is like, is there going to be a point of destination, right? You're on this train. Are you going to get off and be like, okay, got it. This is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And I don't think we can make that forward motion, right? Of continuing to explore and grow without looking back and be like, oh yeah, I remember that. And then I'm going to take it into the future, right? And then as things continue to progress, it also be like, yo, I missed that train. Okay. You know what? I th- um, these are this is my closing thought. I've started to talk out loud about little events that have happened in my life and share about it. Every time I talk about it out loud to someone new, you know there's that weird feeling where there's a knot in your stomach or in your heart that is associated with the disclosure. Mm-hmm. And then I almost can't help but want to cry in a public space and make a fool out of myself. <laughs> I want to get to a point, I could tell with disclosure that every time I share and I unpack some of that pain, that what happens is I can talk about those things and not root myself in the shame and feel mm. despair and not an anxiety. Okay. Where I, every time I talk about it, where I land is not on shame and despair, but on strength and hope. And, and the survivor identity, you know, like when people are like, I'm a survivor, like, oh my God, I can see this and just be like, not shameful or not yeah. scared. And and to me, that's the moving destination. I want to I like get, the, get there. I want to get to where I can talk about it and not feel afraid of what talking about it means about who I am or what I'm doing. I don't know, to other people about sharing those, sharing those things. You know what I mean? I do. I'm like I think, feel proud of who I am and I'm still in the middle of that. Look at me. I'm getting teary right now. I'm not even telling you the damn details. <laughs> but I think it's evident and in, in, it exists in your body and you have to get it out. But what I, what I think is so indicative of what you've described is the journey you and I have been together on since we started the podcast, right? If you go back, if people go back to our earlier sessions – they were all great, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we explored we explored a, a certain level of our emotion, and now we're, we're able to really speak more openly about it. So I would say for, for my final thought, healing doesn't, doesn't come about just because there is work that is needed to get to a place of healing. But within that need to heal, I... Also, I, I want to be appreciative of the fact that it's happening even when you are not intentionally like, today I'm going to heal. By you interacting with people and doing small acts, it ties to your healing journey. Yeah. So don't discount those. Yeah. All right, folks. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> we're going to talk to you all next week. Uh, Keep following us. And then I was going to say, if you have ideas for future sessions, 
send us an email at podcast at mhanational.org. Or if you want to share your thoughts on any of the episodes we've been doing, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, y'all. Thank you, everyone. Keep on fighting in the open. Bye.